During my pastoral ministry, I've had the opportunity, now some might consider it a curse, to be a part of five major capital campaigns of churches that I've served. One was to raise funds to build a new educational wing to that particular campus. The four others were to reduce the debt in churches that had been sustained as a result of building facilities on their campuses. Three of those campaigns were huge steps that led to the church churches being debt-free. In each of the campaigns, the consultant uh, encouraged me to let the people know that Patty and I would be participating in the campaign by making a commitment. In the last two campaigns, uh, the consultant encouraged me to share in certain circles actually the amount that Patty and I were committing to give. The consultant said that by doing so, it would encourage others and inspire them to give generously. So in those two campaigns, uh, one of which was here several years ago, uh, I shared in a couple of meetings what we were committing to give. Now, in light of Jesus' words that Cal read just a moment ago, did I violate the guidelines of kingdom living? Was that going against what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus here addresses how we practice our religion in His kingdom. I like the language of the New Revised Standard Version that talks about practicing your piety. You see, piety is really a rich word, a word that we very seldom use in our culture today, but it's really a rich historical word, particularly for us who are Methodists. You see, back in the time of John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, uh, they liked to talk about piety. They talked about social piety and about personal piety. Social piety being those works that you do out in the world to demonstrate the love of God in practical ways to make people's lives better for God's sake. Personal piety, those practices in one's personal life to draw closer to God. Today, our language has changed a little bit. We don't talk hardly any about social piety, except if you're in a Methodist-related circle and maybe among a few pastors. Uh, but when we talk about social piety today, our language is more talking about, quote, social justice. And personal piety, we talk a bit more in terms of, uh, of uh, spiritual practices, of spiritual disciplines. That has really become our language today. And Jesus here takes on three of the most common of those personal piety practices. These three spiritual exercises, giving, praying, and fasting. Now, I dare say that all of you have heard of praying, giving, and fasting, haven't you? And probably most of you have practiced probably the first two. Some of you have practiced the third one, fasting, but as not many people fast today as maybe in times in the past. And Jesus here points out that these three exercises can be done in ways that are very beneficial or ways that are not beneficial. Now, if we're really interested in living the way that God wants us to live, if we're really interested in living as kingdom people in the world today, it would do us well to take a moment and to reflect on what is Jesus saying in the practice of these things, how we do them, that really makes a difference in our lives. How are we, as people of the kingdom, to give 
pray, and fast. Now, if these words that we heard Cal read a few moments ago were the only words that we had in Scripture or only words that Jesus spoke and we didn't have Jesus' action itself, we could get a, a very misguided thought pattern about what Jesus was communicating. You see, it would be quite easy from what was read that we are to not let our right hand know what our left hand is giving, we're not to uh, pray in public, we're, we're to fast and not show it, that it would seem to be Jesus might be saying to us that our religion should be a very private matter. And it could lead us to a practice of a privatized type of faith. We are to do all of our acts of piety in secret. No one should ever know what you give. No one should ever hear a prayer you pray. No one should know that you're, fi- that you're fasting. So faith becomes this private, internalized matter. But quite honestly, when you look at the rest of Jesus' life, what He said and what He did, and you look at the Scriptures as a whole, you'll, you'll know that that is a misinterpretation of Jesus' words here. For you see, Jesus prayed oftentimes, yes, in private. He would go all alone and, and pray to the Father. But it wasn't uncommon for Jesus to pray in the midst of a small group as well as a much larger gathered congregation. Maybe even thousands of people Jesus would pray in front of those folks. The Scripture gives a clear message that oftentimes giving was a very public matter. Take, for example, when David was raising funds to build the, the, the t- temple that his son Solomon would eventually build. David's analysis of what was given out of his treasure is gone into in great deal in Scripture. And then, with fasting... It was a common practice that there would be communities and even whole nations that would be called to fast together. And they were to use the symbols of fasting. They were to put on sackcloth and to sprinkle themselves with ashes, which were signs of contrition and penance. So it seems that Jesus' words here are not aimed at some kind of privatized piety. Now, there are times, yes when it's appropriate that our acts of righteousness be in a private setting. But it seems that Jesus was pointing to something deeper. Now, isn't that the nature of the Sermon on the Mount? It seems that Jesus is always pointing to something deeper, deeper. A little over a month ago, Pastor Jacqueline preached an excellent sermon about our being salt and light. As people of the kingdom, as followers of Jesus Christ, We are to be salt and light in this world. And of course, this message was taken from this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And in that section of Scripture where Jesus talks about our being salt and light, we find these words. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. It seems here that Jesus is encouraging our practice of faith to be seen by others. And when others see our good works, they look to the Father. Now, what we find here is a contrast. What we find here is almost a conflict with ideas. And anytime in Scripture you come to a contrast, you come to a conflict of ideas, you always need to say, why the difference? Why does this exist here? Let your light shine Don't do these acts publicly to be seen. What's this all about anyway? 
Again, it's the diving deeper. Now, some people might say, well, Jesus just made a, a gaffe here in his uh, sermon. <laughs> I do that from time to time. I'll say things that conflict with each other just because I mess up. But I don't know that Jesus was messing up. I think it was very intentional. Now, some of you are old enough to remember the 2000 Democratic Presidential Convention. And in that convention, there was this iconic display of public affection. Y'all remember? Al Gore, a son of Tennessee, kissed and embraced his wife, Tipper, quite passionately on the stage as he accepted the nomination. Y'all remember that? How many of y'all remember that? If you don't remember, just go Google it. Just go Google it. Now, it seemed to be very earnest and sincere, but was it really an act of passion or was it political theater? Well, none of us really know because we don't know the heart of Tipper or Al in that moment, do we? And maybe Jesus' contrast is taking us to consider what's going on in the heart when we do our practices of piety. As important as the act of praying is, as important as the act of giving is, as important as the act of fasting is, maybe equally important is what's going on in the heart when we do those things. In this section of Jesus' sermon, there are two sets of words that Jesus uses that I not only find intriguing, but I see that they're looped throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Now, for some of you, this will seem a little bit boring, and I apologize right up front, but as many of you know, I really like words and languages and concepts that are found in Scriptures. But but I I want you to hear this so that you can see a little bit of what's going on in Jesus' words. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus uses a word, diokasune, is the Greek word, which is typically translated as righteousness. Righteousness. And He said to those in the congregation listening to Him, He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you won't enter into the kingdom. Now that was really mind-blowing for the people that was listening to Jesus because the Pharisees were the people that were out front living the religion. And here then, Jesus talks about, in the New Revised Standard Version, uses the word piety. By the way, that word piety is still diokasune. It's acts of righteousness. Unless your acts of righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, and Jesus says, don't practice your, 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 your righteous acts out here publicly as they do. Something's going on here. Our acts of righteousness. The second set of words that Jesus is using in this sermon has to do with the theme of light. Phos, you are the light of the world. Phos is light. Phino is to mean to shine on. And doxazo, which is where we get our word doxology, which is often referring to the glory 
of light that surrounds God, this great theme of life. So we are to let our light shine so that the light of the radiance is the praise of the Father. This is what Jesus says earlier in the sermon. He says, in this way, let your light shine, folks, your light. Let it shine before others so that they may give glory, this doxology, to God in heaven, to the Father in heaven. Now, let's talk about how this all works together with these three spiritual practices. In giving alms, Jesus warned that when you give alms, basically giving of alms was giving gifts to people who were in need. We can think of it in that way. Jesus said, when you give your works, He said, don't sound the trumpet and display on the streets what you give so that you may be praised. That word, doxology, praised by others. So giving when it's announced, giving when it's publicly, giving when it's in our hearts that we want to get the praise of other people is what Jesus is warning against. In praying, Jesus warned. Against standing and praying in gathered worship or on the street corners to be seen, fino, got the light shining on us, praying in such a way as that is having the light to focus on us rather than on God. And then in fasting, Jesus uses a similar warning. He says that one is not to put on appearances that lets everybody know that they're fasting to show, fino again, the light shining on that they are fasting. Again, the appearance was designed to shine the light on one who is fasting. Now, are you getting the theme? Are you understanding what Jesus is saying here? Those who do these righteous acts, acts of piety, these spiritual exercises, when they do it in a way to shine the light on themselves, it becomes non-beneficial. But those who are in the kingdom, when we live as the people that Jesus is calling us to live as, all of our practices are to shine light on the Father, to give God the glory. Isn't it amazing? These three acts, and we could add many other spiritual acts, but these three acts that Jesus highlights, giving, praying, and fasting, are high and deep spiritual practices. Every follower of God should practice these, some of these, particularly giving and praying, on a regular basis. They're very important. They can be for us these wonderful channels of grace through which God's loving grace flows into our lives and out into the world. You see, when you pray, God can come in such a marvelous way and transform your life in an amazing fashion. 
But when we pray, or give, or sing, or whatever we do, to shine the light on ourselves, we lose the greater reward. Oh yes, someone might say, Oh, Dwight, you prayed such a beautiful prayer. It may make you feel great that you prayed a beautiful prayer. But the reward is just in the compliment, not the eternal benefit of God's grace having visited and transformed one's life. I want you to think about and meditate upon. What does it mean to do these spiritual acts? In our church, we have what we call discipleship pathway, and in that pathway, there are eight practices that we encourage everyone to participate in. Those include public worship, the praying uh, privately, uh, attending and participating in a small group, uh, reading and studying of Scripture, being involved in service in the church and beyond, uh, being a person who gives uh, generously, uh, being a person who makes connection with others and invites them into the fellowship and doing acts of kindness out in the world. I encourage you to think about, why do we do those things? Is it to be seen? Or is it to give glory to the Father? Jesus' primary concern of the kingdom here is that we understand the important part of these practices, whether it's praying or singing or helping people in the food bank or supporting missionaries. And he's wanting us to understand, to take this deep look and to see what's happening inside our heart. Why am I doing this? What's motivating this act? On whom do I want the light to shine after I've practiced these things. Is our hearts leading us to practice our acts of piety, our acts of righteousness, our spiritual exercises to give glory to God? You see, living in the kingdom is not just about the physical mechanics of what we do. Oh, I prayed today, I can check that off. Oh, I did my read through the Bible today. I can check that off. Oh, I went to worship on Sunday. I can check that off. No, it's much, much deeper. In the kingdom, it's much, much deeper. What's going on in the heart and what is the purpose? What we do in the kingdom is designed to shine light onto the king. Okay, I began this sermon with a question. The story of my and Patty's uh, giving and capital campaigns and letting it be known what we want to give. Did I do wrong? Well, I think the act in and of itself wasn't a matter of right or wrong. But what was going on in my heart? And I have to confess that there were moments when I wanted the light to shine on me rather than on God. How do we practice our spiritual acts, our acts of piety? Maybe we need to go back to Psalm 139. We read the first 12 verses, but listen to verses 23 and 24. This prayer that the psalmist prays, 
Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Brett's going to come and lead us now in a song that goes back to my childhood. Some of you may know that song. Many of you may not know it. But it is this song of searching my heart. And I pray today that you would ask God to search your heart, not only in this moment as we worship, but each day that we'd ask God to search our hearts so that all we do and all we say comes from a heart open to God, wanting to bring glory to Him. The altar is open as a place where God can truly search us.